You're listening to a message from Mercy Culture Church, home of Pastor Landon and Heather Schott in Fort Worth, Texas. For more information about Mercy Culture and ways that you can be a part of it, visit mercyculture.com. We are stewarding a prophetic word that we would expand territory this year. And a lot of people think that taking territory is hard if you partner with that belief. The Lord spoke to my spirit and said that, that we've partnered with the wrong thing that we've made this partnership with what is hard when God's word says his yoke is easy and his burden is light. So this is what's important to understand is in the presence of God, hard things become easy. I know that's been a challenge for a lot of people to receive this word because your flesh doesn't want to receive it. A lot of people have partnered with wrong things for a long period of time. And so when you hear something different, your flesh opposes it. You're like, no, 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 no. Things are supposed to be hard. Ministry is supposed to be hard. Family is supposed to be hard. Uh, Spirituality is supposed to be hard. Reading my Bible is supposed to be hard. I, I don't know. I've been told all my life and I've partnered with its heart. But God's word says his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Well, pastor, do you mean to tell me that that we're not going to go through trials? No, no, no. I'm talking about why Stephen's being stoned. He's smiling in the presence of God. It is a mindset that you can either partner that it has to be hard or you can partner with all things become easy in the presence of God. If you didn't hear this first part of this message, uh, it's on our YouTube or a podcast. I would encourage every member of the church to go back and make sure that you listen to that so that you are in unity with this word. This morning, I'm going to talk about healing. And this is really important. The goal today is not that people get healed. The goal today is you have a breakthrough of your understanding and a revelation of healing. I don't want you just to get healed today. I want you to be healed every day. And I want you to be empowered to address healing properly. So we're going to get into it. Healing is easy in the presence. What is healing? Healing is the journey of wholeness of a person's mind, body, or spirit to operate in the way God intended. Healing is curing or healing a person of infirmity, sickness, or injury through God's power. And the Greek, this word healing is the word ialme, which means to heal or to cure. We see in the Hebrew the word rafa, which means to heal, repair, or rebuild. Some of you may be more familiar with the, the name Jehovah Rapha, which means God is our healer. We see healing all throughout the Bible. In fact, there's, over, there's 151 different scriptures on being healed, and that doesn't take into account scriptures on being made well or whole or the other dozens of scriptures that describe healing but uses different verbiage. In fact, the disciples said that if all of Jesus' signs, wonders, miracles, and healings were, were written down, that there's not enough books in the world that could contain it. That's how much it had. So we see from the beginning of God's word through revelation, we see this aspect that he's a healer. I'm going to show you some of this in the word of God today. We see in Exodus chapter 15, verse 26, God is having a heart to heart with the children of Israel. And he's warning them about this next season of going into this promised land. But here's what he says to them. He says this, for I am the Lord, your healer. Exodus 15, 26. God describes himself 
as a healer. This is Father God talking to Moses. God is saying this. Listen, everybody's into these days how they self-identify. God self-identifies as a healer. See, many of you call God Lord, but you don't know that he's a healer. In the same way he's Lord, it's the same way he's a healer. Look at this, Matthew chapter 4. Jesus begins his ministry with healing. So a setup to this, um, Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is, is not really on the radar for the first 30 years of his life. We know that he was about his father's business. All of a sudden he shows up. Uh, he's getting baptized by John. He goes and, and, and uh, is tempted in the wilderness with Satan for, for 40 days. Comes out and begins his ministry. And how does Jesus begin his ministry? With healing. Matthew 4, 23, it says, And Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. You know what the Greek word for every is? Every. <laughs> this is what he did. His ministry was built on healing. So then we know that Jesus tells his disciples, I have to go, don't worry. I'm gonna give you a comforter. I'm gonna give you an advocate. I'm gonna give you my spirit, the Holy Spirit. Wait for this gift. So we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse nine, that one of the gifts or attributes of the Holy Spirit is healing according to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse nine. So watch this. So in Exodus chapter 15, God calls himself, the Father is a healer. In Matthew four, we see the attributes of Jesus' ministry is healing. And then we see one of the gifts or attributes of the Holy Spirit is healing. So we see healing in all persons of the Trinity. We know that words have power. The Bible says the power of life and death is in the word, is in the tongue. Proverbs 12, 18, there is one whose rash words are like swords of thrusts, but the tongue of the wise bring healing. Let me ask you this question. Is your mouth partnered with healing or is your mouth partnered with sickness? Is your mouth partnered with faith or is your mouth partnered with unbelief? We know that God heals not only people, but he heals entire nations. Second Chronicles 7, 4, if my people were called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, I will forgive them of their sin, and I will heal their land. How many know America needs a healing right now? It will not be a politician. It will not be a political party. The only thing that's going to save our nation is Jesus, the healer. So if we believe that, then it's important that we get as many godly people in office as possible to be ambassadors of our healing God. So I'm talking about healing, and I'm going to stop right here and just pause for a second, because there, there's very few things that are resisted on the planet the way the enemy resists the things of God. And I'm about to show you in the text, 
But I want everybody who's a member of Mercy Culture, I want you to understand this concept. I bring it up all the time. It makes its way into just about every other one of my messages. But I talk about the same way the Pharisees in religious community persecuted Jesus in the flesh is the same way a religious spirit persecutes the Holy Spirit and the moving of the Spirit today. And I want you to be aware of it. Because it, it's this war that continues. So religious people persecuted and resisted Jesus. And now a foul spirit, a religious spirit, resists the spirit of Jesus. And the exact same way they did it then is the same way the spirit of religion resists it now. So there is this spirit of religion that resists the moving of the Holy Spirit in all of its attributes, including healing. And here's why, because God's healing power exposes religious people, lack of power and lack of relationship with God. John chapter nine says, Jesus passed along, saw a man blind from birth. He was with his disciples and his disciples asked rabbi who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind. Go to verse three and just leave it up there for a second. Now this is interesting because part of spiritual immaturity is people are trying to figure out who's at fault for the situation that you're in. So there has to be sin in someone's life for you to be going through a trial. Now, I believe that disciples, now we're, we're, we're in, in this portion of scripture, the disciples aren't the disciples after Jesus had died on the cross, ascended and resurrected and been given the power of the Holy Spirit after Acts chapter one. This is pre-day of Pentecost disciples. So these are the dumb version of disciples. And these are the disciples that were influenced by other groups. You see this, the disciples would argue with John's disciples. You would see the disciples arguing with the Pharisees. So, so you see the influence of this, this religion on them. So they're trying to figure out who's at fault that he's going through this situation. What does the next verse say? It says, none of them. He said, this happened so that the works of God or the glory of God could be revealed in someone's life. Do you know that you go through some things that are not fun that may be uncomfortable but they cause you to seek after God they cause you watch to encounter God watch the spirit of religion so it says this so Jesus spit on the ground he made mud with saliva and he anointed the man's eyes with mud verse 7 he said go wash in the pool of Siloam which means sent he went washed and came back sealing seeing jump down to verse 14 now, it was a Sabbath day. Someone say Sabbath day. When Jesus made mud and opened the man's eyes. So the Pharisees asked, how could he receive his sight? He said to them, he put mud on my eyes and washed that I may see. Verse 16. So the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. So I want to explain to you what, what the Sabbath is. The Sabbath literally means no work. Scripture teaches us that God made Sabbath so that man would rest in God. God created the earth in six days and he rested on the Sabbath. He modeled rest. God wasn't tired. He modeled rest for us. This was a, 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 
something created by God so that it would bless us. So Sabbath means honoring God. Sabbath means worship. Sabbath means obedience. Sabbath means encountering God. In fact, when I was preparing to minister, I really felt in my spirit that there's some individuals that you haven't learned how to honor the Sabbath. And because you haven't learned how to honor the Sabbath, some of you are in a state of sickness or illness because your body is longing to rest with God. Some of you are literally working yourselves to death. What does that look like? It's when you can't rest, you have to call that one client because you're afraid you might lose the deal. So you don't trust God or you work the third or the fourth job because you're worried about finances instead of working hard and letting God provide for you. This is important because a lot of people think that you have some characteristic that is you're just the hardest working person on the planet and, and, and you're going to make this happen and you're going to provide and your identity is wrapped up in hard you, how hard you work. Don't get me wrong. It's wonderful to work hard. It's not wonderful to not trust God, though. And we need to work hard and then rest well. Let me ask you this question. What other of the Ten Commandments do you willingly break and have pride about breaking it? But only the Sabbath is one commandment that the average Christian, oh, that one's not important. Don't get me wrong. Watch, Jesus was very clear. He didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. He also said this. He said that Sabbath was made for the man, not man for the Sabbath. So watch, it's not a religious interaction. Sabbath was made, watch, for you to encounter God. So my Sabbath is on Monday. It's not on Sunday because I work on Sunday. Y'all put me to work on Sundays. So this is my job. So on Monday is when I rest. I don't do work. I do turn off my phone. I get off social media. I don't check emails. I do not engage, watch, in ministry activity. I engage with God. I engage with my wife a lot. And I engage with my family. I don't know why everybody's giggling. We have a great, we're best friends. So watch. It is made for you to enjoy God. That's what the Sabbath is made for. But religion will try to take something that's good and beautiful and pervert it. So watch what the religious spirit did with the Sabbath right here. So it says this. Jesus went and spit and tried to make mud or he made mud and he put it in the man's eyes. I love this. John chapter nine, verse six. He spit on the ground. He made mud and he put it in the man's eyes. So when Jesus spit, he took his DNA and he placed it in a man's dysfunctional DNA. Or he gave him the DNA of heaven, which is healing. And then the religious community went in an uproar because they said, you're working on the Sabbath. And Jesus started laughing at him because he said, guys, this isn't work for me. I already told you that healing is who I am. 
Watch, Jesus is saying, I heal on my day off because it's not work. This completely changes the entire paradigm of healing in the church where people act like you have to go through spiritual aerobics classes before you get a miracle or healing. And if we sweat hard, uh, hard enough, if we sew hard enough, if we try hard enough, if we work for it, we can find healing. Church, listen to me. Healing is easy for God. So here's what these religious people did. Verse 18, the Jews did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they called his parents, one of them who had received his sight, and asked them, is this your son whom you said was born blind? Then how does he see? His parents answered, we know that he is our son. We know he was born blind, but now he sees, and we don't know, nor do we know how his eyes were opened. Ask him, for he is of age. Look at verse 22. You'll see the religious spirit. For his parents said these things because they feared the Jews or the church leaders. For their Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus Christ, he would be put out of the synagogues. Verse 23. So his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So for the second time they called to him and they said to the blind one, they said, give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. Verse 25 says this. He answered, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I can see. Watch how foul this, this, this religious spirit is. Look at verse 34. They answered him, you were born in utter sin. Who are you to teach us? And then they cast him out. Doesn't this sound like a church you used to go to? Watch. The only thing this guy did was be born blind and encounter Jesus. And because it exposed their lack of relationship with Jesus, they said, you're a sinner. This is that foul religious spirit. They resisted God encounters. And this is the same spirit that tries to resist you being healed today. It is a spirit that resists the moving of Jesus. I want to pastor you for a moment this morning because I was praying for you. I felt in my spirit, not only does the spirit of religion resist healing, but I felt especially in our community that some of you that have experienced disappointment are resisting healing. And maybe God hasn't healed yet, or maybe you were believing for something that didn't happen. And you allowed yourself to be disappointed, and so then you begin to partner with a theology that is not biblical, and it's not based on the Bible, but it's based on disappointment. And so you have begun to partner with lies that God does not heal because what you asked him to do did not happen. And I will say this, and I'm going to say it lightly to you because I know that you're, you're, you're struggling and battling, but that God does not have to prove himself to you. It's actually a demonic thought that has been fed to you. 
Because if you look in Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus was tempted by Satan, Satan said the same thing. Prove to me your God. Prove you have power. Prove who your identity really is. And here's what you need to understand is that God does not have to prove himself to you or and I. He does not have to prove that he can heal. Listen, God can heal. But even if he doesn't, he is still able. Listen, he doesn't have to prove his healing power to me or you. He has already proved himself to be God. I remember my spiritual father, John Paul Jackson, told me a story about when he went to heaven. And I say that carefully because when he says that God took him to heaven, I believe him. There was something about his eyes. It's like they reflected the glory of God. Some people say that they've been to heaven and I don't believe them. I don't believe they could successfully get to Walmart on their own, <laughs> let alone heaven. But when John Paul said it, I believed him and how he described it was incredible. He said he got back from this encounter with God and he said he was so mad at God. I was like, John, how, how are you? How are you mad at God when he takes you into an experience like that? He said, Landon, because I saw his power. And I knew one flick of his finger, he could have cleared every hospital in DFW, and I was mad that he didn't. He said, finally, three days later, I asked him, I said, why, why, why won't you give this power of healing to us? He said, and God spoke to me and said, I love you too much to give you a power that would cause your soul to be filled with pride and send you to hell. He was saying this, listen, we care so much about physical healing. Yeah, I believe God does too. But what he cares about the most is our hearts. Listen, all of our bodies are going to go to the dirt. All of our bodies are going to pass away. But those that have relationship with Jesus and their names are written in the Lamb's book of life, if you are covered by the blood of Jesus, if you know Jesus as Lord, every single one of us are getting new bodies in heaven. But listen, our soul or our hearts is what really matters. Hmm. Let's go back to our story in John chapter 5. John chapter 5, it's a story of a blind man who, or excuse me, a lame man that encountered Jesus who was at this pool called Bethesda for a very long time. That word pool means a small lake or pond or a body of water which someone could swim, potentially fish, or bathe or wash. It had five covered porches or colonnades which were little docks with covering that were a gathering place of sick people. Now, we don't know what kind of healing took place in John chapter 5, but we know that the people of the time believed it to be some sort of miracle pool. Now, if you look at your Bible to John chapter 5, and don't just look on the notes that you texted, if you have a newer version of the Bible, you might realize that verse 4 is not in your Bible. If you have a King James Bible, it's in there, but newer versions, it's not there. First time I noticed this when I was a teenager, I thought that there was a misprint in my Bible. 
What I came to learn was, is that there's been modern day, or in the last few hundred years, they have found exact versions of the text from the original language. And what they saw in there was in verse four where these miracles were credited to angels, that actual statement was not an eyewitness account. But in Jewish tradition, when someone would encounter something miraculous, they would give glory to God or they would accredit it to angels. Give you an example, have you ever been driving your car and you almost got in a car accident, but you didn't, you said, oh man, an angel must have protected me. Or maybe my guardian angels were there with me. I remember one time I was in India at 12 years old and, and someone asked us to take a picture and so me and my friends were, were smiling for a picture and I went to go walk forward and as I walked, my entire body stopped and froze. And as my body froze in midair, a motorcycle came racing around the corner and the pant leg of the driver brushed my foot. And I remember as he went by, I said, whoa, God just protect me. I think an angel stopped me from walking. Has anyone experienced anything like this in their life? And so it's common in our custom where, where something miraculous happens that you give credit to angels. Well, so it was in Jewish times that maybe one person found themselves in this pool called Bethesda and then all of a sudden they, they, maybe there was medicinal waters and maybe it healed their leprosy or skin and, and they realized, man, I was in this pool and I got healed and, 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 and man, glory to God, I think an angel healed me in this. And then all of a sudden the townspeople start building places to send disabled and broken and hurt people, but obviously there wasn't a lot of people getting healed because there was a man who was there for 38 years and it did not work for him. So you have this man who was there for 38 years. Watch this. Put it up. I think it's verse six where Jesus said to him, he said, do you want to get well? Now, this is kind of a little bit, uh, you know, pe people think that Jesus is just this really nice guy that holds on to lambs all the time, but he's a bit savage. And he said to them, he said to this man, now watch this, according to scripture, Jesus know, knew he was there for 38 years, but he still said to him, do you want to get healed? Now, why would Jesus ask him that unless he was doing it wrong? Thirty-eight years in the same place with the same outcome. See, I believe that this man wasn't just dealing with a regular sickness. I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, what do you want me to bring to your people this week? And clear as day, he said, I want you to expose the spirit of infirmity. John chapter five, it tells us that he dealt with the spirit of infirmity. What is infirmity? Infirmity in the Greek is the word ostenia, which means this, a weakness, a frailty, a lack of strength, weakness, illness, suffering, or calamity. Watch this. If you go on to study this out, it means this. It refers to an ailment that deprives someone of enjoying or accomplishing what they would like to do. It focuses on handicaps that go with weaknesses or it gets people to focus on particular problems. It causes them to be overly dependent on a sickness. 
Let me simplify this for you. Infirmity is when you trade your joy for the presence of sickness. Infirmity is when you become dependent on it. Or infirmity, watch this, is when sickness becomes your identity. Oh. So the identity of God is healer, but the identity of a spirit of infirmity is sickness. This is when, watch, you begin to get familiar and enjoy the presence of sickness. Sorry, live stream. See, infirmity is when you desire to be in your sickness presence. It's when God heals you, but you're looking for the next sickness. It's when you encounter deliverance, but you're looking for the next problem. Watch. You'll never say this because you have too much self-control and awareness. But infirmity is when you like the presence of a demonic sickness. You are uncomfortable unless sickness is with you. And here's this. Infirmity is when you are holding on to a spirit that causes sickness. You are not holding on to the Holy Spirit. And this is a spirit I'm going to show you. John chapter 5 verse 15. I'm jumping to the end of the story. Jesus found the man that he healed at the pool. We'll talk about that in a second. And here's what he said to him. He said, see you are well. Now sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. Again, I, I, you have to really look at the text. How much sin can a man who's paralyzed get in sitting at a dock for 38 years? But Jesus called out his sinful nature because he had partnered with the spirit of infirmity. I'm gonna show you more in the word of God. Look at this. In Luke chapter eight, beginning in verse two, it says, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, whom seven demons had come out of. Mary, that was famous for being at the feet of Jesus, Mary, a friend of God, part of her great love for God was she was tormented by a spirit of infirmity. It was seven demons were attached to this, and the Bible says that she was supernaturally healed from this spirit of infirmity. This is important that you understand this. Luke chapter eight, it says this. He healed them of their infirmities or all of their sickness. Luke 13, verse 10. Now Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues in the Sabbath, on the Sabbath. There he is again in the Sabbath making trouble. And behold, there was a woman who had been, had a disabling spirit or infirmity. For 18 years, she was bent over and not able to fully straighten up. I want to point out to you, look at people that struggle with the spirit of infirmity. There's always long periods of time attached to it. 38 years at Bethesda, 18 years for this woman. We'll see more later. When Jesus saw her, he called her out and said to her, woman, you are freed from your disability or infirmity. Maybe 
a more popular version of saying this, this verse is, woman, you are loosed. That word freed or loose means to this, to let go. This is important, you need to hear this. Jesus said to the woman who was bound by infirmity for 18 years, he didn't tell the demon to let go. He told the woman to let go. He said, woman, let go of that spirit of infirmity. Do you know why? Because infirmity is not when a sickness is holding on to you. It's when you are holding on to a sickness. He said, let go. How do you deal with the spirit of infirmity? I'm glad you asked. You rebuke it. Luke chapter 4, verse 38. And he arose and left the synagogues and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever. And they appealed to him on her behalf, verse 39. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever. And it left her immediately. And she rose and began to serve them. Oh, I love this. I love God's word. Infirmity kept her from serving. The purpose of the spirit of infirmity is to get, keep you distracted with it for years, to keep you out of serving and advancing the kingdom of God. I can't make it to justice night. I'm dealing with this infirmity. I can't be a part of that ministry. I'm dealing with infirmity. I can't go on that missions trip. I'm dealing with infirmity. I can't go to leadership school. I got this infirmity. Watch, and you're holding on. When scripture tells us what did Jesus model, he said he rebuked it. You know what that word rebuke in the Greek means? It's the word epidemeo. Or you may be familiar with our English word, honor. Here's what Jesus said. He said, this is what you do to spirit of infirmity. You honor it or you rebuke it. Or how we define honor is you assign heaven's value to it. Church, so many of you have been giving infirmity the wrong value in your life where you have been valuing a spirit of sickness more than you have been valuing what God's word or the nature of God. So if we're gonna assign heaven's value over sickness and according to Revelations chapter four, or excuse me, chapter 21, verse four, it says in heaven there is no death, there is no sorrow, there's no crying, there's no pain. Then here's what God's word says. Heaven does not value sickness much at all, now does it? There is no value on sickness in heaven. So how we honor or rebuke infirmity is by assigning it its proper value. I'm going to say this again, church. Too many of you have been giving infirmity great value in your life. Oh, I just felt the Lord just prompt my spirit. You know how you, you, do you are, know how to be aware that you've assigned too much value is look how much money you've spent on your infirmity.
Imagine if a preacher asked you to sow that into a project. Oh, man, that's so much. But when it's sown into your infirmity, it's a good investment. I know some people are going to mince words and try to talk about, does he hate doctors? No, I love doctors. I don't like the doctors that say men can get pregnant, but, but, but I don't hate doctors. Listen, this is not a natural sermon that I'm giving you right now. I asked the Lord, I said, what do you want for your people this week? He said, expose infirmity. You won't get it if you don't have spiritual eyes. You won't get it if you don't have spiritual ears. What I'm trying to tell you is there's a foul demonic spirit that people of God have partnered with and it's kept you bound for years. It has stolen your money. It has stolen your time. It has stolen your energy. It has stolen your ministry and it's trying to steal your future. And we must expose it so it no longer has authority in our lives. Back to John chapter five. Look at this. He is telling Jesus the reasons why he's been sick for 38 years. I know we know this, but I just want to just like obviously point it out for a second. He's in the presence of Jesus in the flesh. But telling Jesus why a dumb bubbling pool hasn't healed him yet. And he says, I've tried, I've worked really, really hard. I've been here for 38 years working on it. But what did he say? It's too hard. I don't have friends to put me in the pool. I'm not like that one guy that had friends that put him down the roof in front of you, Jesus. I don't have any friends. I don't have any money. And every time, watch, I try to do it. You don't understand, Jesus, how hard this is. You don't, my entire life is built around this. I'm trying to do it, but I'm paralyzed. I don't have the means. I don't have the strength. I don't have the resources. And I'm trying to, in my own flesh, make my healing happen, but it's too hard. 38 years trying to make it happen. And it reminds me of Christianity and all the nonsense games people try to do around healing. Buying water and cloaks and napkins and sowing seeds into this televangelist and that ministry and this thing. Nonsense. Nonsense. Watch. So you don't have to clap. That's fine. It's just wolves partnering with the own deceit that's already in you. He tried to make it happen. <laughs> you know how I know I was supposed to preach this today? Because the place that he was for 38 years, they called it Bethesda. Do you know what Bethesda means? The place of mercy. Even though he was doing it wrong, he was in a place of mercy. Watch, and he found himself in the presence of Jesus. Watch, I love this. And he's telling Jesus all of the reasons why he hasn't been healed yet. And Jesus interrupts him in the middle of his monologue and says, just get up. Take that bed and go. I'm sure the man was thinking, whoa, 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 whoa. 
You mean I don't have to beat everybody else into the bubbling water? You mean I don't have to stay here on edge waiting for something to happen? You mean I've been doing all of this hard work for nothing? How easy it is just to grab my mat and go. And his strategy was simply finding himself in the presence of God. I want to expose and rebuke this nonsense that's in the church. That if we hyper amp ourselves up enough, we could have healings in our services. It reminds me of people that are like, well, how, how, how do you guys get such an integrated church at Mercy Culture? What's your, what's your cultural diversity plan? <laughs> like the presence of God? I know, but, but what else? That's it. No, no, I, I, I literally, well, how do you get so many just different nationalities to come to your church? We don't try to get anything. We just try to get God to come to the church. Watch, and when the presence of God is there, people that love the presence of God show up. White people show up, brown people show up, black people show up, even Greeks show up. People show up to the presence of God. What? Because they just want to be in the presence. Watch this. We do not have to work for healing. We don't have to try for healing. We just have to show up in the presence of God. Ah. Someone just shout, no work. no work. We don't have to work for this. We just have to get in his presence. I want to show you this. Worship team, come and join me because I want to build your faith for a moment. Over and over and over in the Bible, people found themselves healed in the presence of God. Look at this, Matthew chapter 9, verse 20. Suddenly a woman who had suffered for bleeding for 12 years, look at this, 38 years, 14 years, 12 years, someone say infirmity, came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak. She said to herself, if only I could touch his cloak, I will be healed. Someone say, too easy. Acts chapter 19, verse 11. It says, and God was doing extraordinary miracles in the hands of Paul, so that even the handkerchiefs of his apron that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick people, and their diseases left him, and evil spirits of infirmity came out of them. Someone say, too easy. Acts chapter 5 verse 15 it says and they even carried the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats so that Peter came by least his shadow might fall on some of them. Verse 16 and the people gathered from towns of Jerusalem bringing their sick who was afflicted by unclean spirits and they were all healed. Someone say too easy. Mark chapter 6, it says, And whoever he went in the villages and towns and countrysides, they laid him by the sick in the marketplace, and they begged him just to touch the fringe of his cloak. And all who touched him were healed. Someone say, too easy. Matthew 14, 35, And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent around to him in that region and brought him all who were sick and implored that they might only touch the fringe of his garments. And they, as everyone who touched it was made well. Someone and say easy watch all of these people were just healed in the presence of God they didn't have to sow into it there was no games there was no manipulation 
There was no prepacking ministry. It wasn't about getting to a healing crusade. It wasn't about anything but the one thing. If I could just get into his presence. Something amazing might happen if I could just touch him. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes all over this place? On Thursday morning, I was running on the Trinity Trail. And I had a vision, a spiritual daydream. And I began to weep in the presence of God as I ran. And I saw the train of his robe coming down the center aisle of our sanctuary. And it filled the sanctuary. Instantly I was reminded of Isaiah 6 where it said the train of his robe filled I believe that his glory is about to manifest in this room. And the same way a woman of 14 years, a woman of 12 years, and countless others just said, if I could just touch his robe, I know I'd be healed. I believe today we're going to touch the robe of glory. My greatest desire is not just a physical manifestation. My greatest desire is that you would have a spiritual breakthrough. That you would know the nature of God. You would understand the culture of heaven, of who he says he is, his gifts, his ministry, his character, his healing. It's who he is. It's what he does. That's why it's so easy for him. That's why it's not work for him. That is all we have to do is be with him. And he heals automatically because it's who he is. Before we touch the cloak, before we touch his robe, some of you need to let go of another spirit. The Lord told me to expose infirmity and that we were supposed to rebuke it. This is the moment where you spiritually grow. This is the moment where you have spiritual breakthrough. Please let me pastor you. Don't care about what anyone thinks. 
don't care about what you're wearing, don't care about where you're sitting, don't care about who you brought with you. The only thing that matters is that you encounter God right now. And if you have been aware, if you have been, if the spirit of infirmity has been exposed in your life, if you say, Landon, I, I think it snuck in, I think it first grabbed onto me, and then I begin to grab onto it, I believe that infirmity is attached to my life, it's attached to my family. As you were talking about it, as the Holy Spirit was started talking to me, as you were talking about it, and, and, and the spirit of infirmity cannot have first place anymore in my life. I want the Holy Spirit, not an infirmity spirit. I want every spirit to go. I want only the Holy Spirit to come and remain. And infirmity must leave my life. If that's you, to stand to your feet as fast as you can. And lift your hands to a holy God. Service is over. You're dismissed. Stay. If your hands are lifted, I don't want any distractions right now. Nothing else clo closing or nothing else on your mind right now. Just, just you and the Lord. If you got to go, you can go. But this is the, not the time where we're going to be cute right now. This is the time where you're going to rise up. This is the time where you're going to start getting bold. I want you to think about this for a moment. How long has this thing been attacking you? How long has this thing been tormenting you? How long has it been attacking your marriage? How long has it been attacking your body? How long has it been attacking your family right now? I want you to think about that right now. This is not something that you be cute with. This is not something that we play around with. This is something that we take authority in right now. This is not something that we're going to bow to any longer. This is not something that we're going to give into any longer. This isn't something we're going to partner with any longer. This is not something we're going to tolerate any longer. This is a spirit that does not have authority. It does not have permission. It cannot remain in your life any longer. And this is the Sunday it breaks. This is the moment it goes. This is the moment it leaves. It never comes back. This is the moment you serve it. It's eviction. This is the moment like a woman with an issue of blood. Today it has to go. Today it has to bow. This is the day it has to let go. So speak to it right now and start telling it, let go in Jesus' name. 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 Come on, open your mouth and begin to talk to it. Come on, this is the spirit. Talk to it. Say, let go in Jesus' name. Come on, let go right now. Back pain in Jesus' name. Talk, call its name. What is it? Let go, you tormenting, distracting spirit in Jesus' name. Let go right now. Let go, you migraine headache in Jesus' name. Let go of it right now in Jesus' name. Whatever it is, speak to it. Whatever it is, speak to it. Come on right now, tell it, let go. Tell it, let go. Okay, stop. Look at look at me. so much tougher and bolder in the world how come you got saved and got soft I want you to just think about something imagine a ferocious dog approaching your children and how you would respond. Imagine an intruder trying to come 
and grab your toddler and how you would respond. What kind of response would you have? That is the kind of response we need to have when the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Hold on, listen, listen. Remember when we were at this altar a few weeks ago and we started warring and we broke through and this whole building shook under the power of God? If you were here in that service, wave your hand at me. Okay, do you remember when we pressed in with our spirit and we shouted from our spirit, not our flesh, what happened in that moment? That same spiritual disposition that you had then Pick up now. Close your eyes all over this place and just start praying in the Holy Ghost, just singing the Spirit. If you got a prayer language right now, nobody's speaking in, nobody's prophesying in tongues. Come on, just right now, just do some warfare right now. Come on, just do a little warfare right now. Come on, start praying in the Holy Ghost. Come on, balcony, come on. Mercy culture communities. Come on, friends in California, friends in Canada right now. Come on, just start praying in the Holy Ghost right now. Start praying in the Holy Ghost. Tell it to go. Come on, tell it to go. Tell it to go. Call it by name. Call it by name. Call it by name. Call it by name. Tell it to go. 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 Tell it to go.
of God. Keep playing, Mark, but play Matt too. Just close your eyes tight all over this place. I saw glory coming in. My wife told me in between services, she said, Landon, I had a vision when I was praying this week of King Jesus walking down the middle aisle. But his, the train of his robe came from the middle aisle and it flooded or it filled the entire sanctuary. I said, darling, that is the exact vision I saw. I said, but I didn't see Jesus. I just saw his robe. She said, I didn't see Jesus either. I just knew his robe was there. I knew he was there. And he, I believe the Lord showed both of us for this moment right now that this morning, once you let go of infirmity, it allows you to have the right posture to hold on to him. And there's no right way to do this. Just let your heart, just let the Spirit of God in you lead you. But if you're standing on the right half of the sanctuary, which is my left, would you just turn and face the middle aisle? If you're on the left half, my right, would you just turn and face the middle aisle? We invite you, King Jesus, Spirit of Jesus, to fill this place with the train of your robe the glory of God I invite you right now wherever you are to just touch his robe and be made well if that's kneeling if that's bowing if that's lifting your hands whatever that looks like for you We hope you've enjoyed this message from Mercy Culture Church. If this podcast has blessed you, we'd like to encourage you to share it with a friend. To learn more about us, find us on social media and online at mercyculture.com. 